at time again. Hello, everybody. Uh, happy Friday. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Rory Sodder and the News. I'm Rory Sodder, your host. I hope you've had a great week. I hope you had exciting weekend plans. Big show tonight. A lot to address, a lot to establish. Many notable names in attendance. My first guest is with us right now. We have Douglas Suri Giannano, and uh, it's his first time on. Uh, very excited. Um, first and foremost, give us a background, a bio, how it all started for you, all that fun jazz. All right. I'm author of American Conspiracies and Cover-Ups, which is published by Skyhorse Publishing. They've just published Bobby Kennedy. They published um, uh, Jesse Ventura, Roger Stone. And it's a book of interviews with some of the most famous conspiracy theory authors in the world. I got 12 interviews with Jim Mars on the New World Order, G. Edward Griffin on the Federal Reserve, uh, Noam Chomsky on the mainstream media, 12 altogether. They're interviews, so they read fast. They're fun to read. I've got a lot of five-star reviews on Amazon. And uh, I talk about the New World Order. I talk about the dangers of vaccines, how elections can be rigged, how there are uh, suppressed cancer cures. So there's a lot of interesting information and uh, uh, American Conspiracies and Coverups.com. I love it. I love it. I love it. And, you know, let's talk about the, the your, your latest book, your newest book. Tell everybody about that, the, the, the kind of the premise and what you want the takeaway to be and kind of pinpoint that for us. Yeah, it's what I was just saying. It's uh, American Conspiracies and Coverups. It's 12 interviews and they're, you know, about 12 different subjects. I have an interview there with uh, one of Lyndon Johnson's lawyers. Who say, he's still alive, saying that Johnson had something to do with the Kennedy assassination. I interviewed Jim Mars, uh, G.M. Griffin, interviewed a guy who knew Martin Luther King, who says the government assassinated King. Uh, he's still alive, too, Dr. William Pepper. Who oh, wow. a good one with Bev Harris, foremost expert on uh, election fraud. And, uh, you know, it's 12 different subjects. And... Uh, most people uh, give it five stars who review it. That's awesome, man. And the whole the whole um, Jim Mars and the New World Order, go into detail on that a little bit. Because the New World Order is a thing we're probably facing now more than ever before. I mean, it's more evolved, and they pretty much have their game plan set in place, and it's, it's on par. I mean, they, they're getting what they want, and unless we stop them, that this is going to be a, a one world government. Uh, they are going, it, it's just, it's scary. It's just very dangerous, but speak on it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I talked to him, you know, what's the proof that there's this agenda to have one world government. And I think the proof is pretty much in the uh, agenda 21 plan, the right. United Nations, you know, United Nations was created to eventually get the big brother. That's what it's there for to get yeah. to world government. And, um, the Agenda 21 plan is right on their own website. They talk about how we're eventually going to live in UN cities and UN will police force is going to control us. And I asked Jim about that. You know, the, the reason they want to set up Agenda 21 is because a global warming is so bad that if we don't live in a United Nations world government, then we're all going to burn up. I asked Jim about that. He said, I don't think we have to worry about um, global warming for probably another 100,000 years. You know, it's propaganda to get us to accept Agenda 21. Then they're always telling us that the world is overpopulated. We have to depopulate the world. 
Jim Barnes, I asked him about that. He said, no, actually, we could fit all the people in the world comfortably in the state of Texas. So, you know, it's a lot of propaganda and BS uh, coming from the media, you know? Yeah, and you look at all the... I was just talking about this on my show the other day in regards to all of the vacant land across the country. When you're driving on the highways, it's not even being used. And it just makes me wonder like it, it, because you could, you could build so many houses, you could build so many condos, you could fit so many people, like it could solve so many problems. I'm sure you know what I mean. Well, that's what he told me, Jim Marsh. He told me you could fit, all 7 billion people in the world comfortably in the state of Texas. But they want to depopulate the world, the, the uh, deep state, the secret societies, because it'd be easier to control us, you know, if there's less people. You know, that guy, what's that guy's name at the World Economic Forum? Uh, Klaus Schwab. And the other bald-haired guy who's sort of his, uh, he says, yeah, uh, weird, yeah. weird, na- weird name, Yavi, so I don't, I, I don't, it's some weird name, right? I, I don't things like the world is overpopulated. There's too many people in the world, too many useless eaters. F you, man. <laughs> you guys are just fascist totalitarians. They want to control the world and it'd be easier. There was less people. It's not overpopulated. <laughs> it's a dangerous, um, yeah, I, 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 I don't recognize the times. I don't recognize where we currently are as a nation. I don't even, and I don't, I, don't, I just, I just, I can't fathom. I can't comprehend everything that's going on. I mean, things are more out of, out of control now than any time in history. Especially this maniac, Joe Biden. What, what, a, the guy, he lies every time he opens his mouth, you know, and he, yeah. he he's got dementia, you know. And so you, you look at America, you go, what, what's going on here? I think he's obviously a puppet of people who want to take away our freedoms and want to get us to the new world order. You know, I think we're, we're better with Trump there. I think he maybe has faults, but he was doing the right thing for the country. I know, I know what you mean. You can't tell what's going on. You got these transgenders dancing in libraries. Uh, you got uh, they're led, the government's letting thousands and thousands of people cross the border. You know, what the, what is going on? I think it's uh, this guy we have in office. He's got dementia and he's a, he's a puppet of the new world order, you know? Yeah, and I also want to go into detail on Noam Chomsky on the mainstream media. Talk about your discussions with him and how, how that kind of played out. Yeah, I, I, he's a famous professor, Noam Chomsky. I interviewed him about how the media is controlled. And uh, he talks about, I, I asked him about, there's really two ways I see it. You know, the CIA had a big program uh, back in the 60s, Mockingbird Project, to use their influence in the media to control the media. I think that's why, you know, the media is so, uh, it's what Trump says, fake news, you know, and it can't be trusted. And so much BS comes through there. And also, many of the media uh, outlets are controlled by the Council on Foreign Relations, which is a new world order think tank started by the Rockefellers in the 20s. So I talked to Chomsky about that, you know. I think it's the biggest problem we have, uh, the media. You know, the media does not report on the things it's supposed to report on, and it's controlled. And there's only, I think, two corporations that own all the media. So that's another problem, the consolidation of the media through corporate ownership. It's just the biggest problem we have. I think Trump once said the majority of the mainstream media is fake news. It is the great enemy of the people. And I agree with him on that. I think the biggest problem we have, and I, I talked to Chomsky about that, 
and the underground media uh, that we were talking about on the initial the initial broadcast before it cut out and we had to restart tell the audience about that because um, I want everybody to hear about the underground media and how that worked back in the 70s and you said the government took them out explain that yeah there was a couple of good underground uh, newspapers back then because I grew up in the 70s and I'm pretty old yeah. and uh, that's where I started getting into finding out about the New World Order. One was the uh, publication of uh, John Birch's side. They got a lot right, called the Spotlight. But the government put them out of business in like 1980, I think, because they were criticizing Israel and they were talking about the New World Order and talking about how international bankers control everything, trilateral commission, council on foreign relations. There's only a few underground newspapers back then. And now uh, the internet has so much information that Basically, the internet is an underground newspaper, the whole thing, you know, so that's good. But I hope they don't try to come in and try to control it, you know, Facebook and Google and all that. I don't, hope they don't try to put in controls. Hope it remains free and open, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And it's fair to say that <clears throat> the underground media from your day is, is what social media is today, correct? Yeah, and the internet, I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Because there's so many different sources, there's so many different outlets people can go get their research from and do their due diligence. They don't; they're not stuck with, you know, the just a few a few options. Yeah. Um, you know, it's interesting how some some of these other countries operate, where they only get like one or two channels, and they're so oblivious to what's going on. I'm talking; I'm, I'm referring to like these communist dictator countries. It's crazy yeah, yeah. when you think yeah, about yeah. it. Yeah, that's true. And, uh, and then they, they, oh, they created the me the internet, I think, to try to get us all under surveillance. Uh, that's what I heard. They're going to make everybody use their phone to get to their bank and if you criticize the government and they'll uh, lock you out from your money. But I think the plan backfired because so much, so many people are finding out about the new world order through the media. So maybe yeah. their plan backfired, you know? There's so right. much uh, good information coming over the internet, and, uh, but I hope they don't... Uh, I hope they don't uh, censor it, you know? Oh, yeah, man, dude. But it, And that's another, you bring up another thing, the censoring, man. It's probably driving you nuts. I mean, it's it's uh, it's never-ending, and it's it keeps getting worse, and yeah. people are getting canceled, you know? Anytime you say something that the government doesn't agree with, they're going to, you know, delete your profile. And we all know that companies like Facebook, Twitter, all these, you know, these sort of these sort of outlets are in bed with the CIA, the FBI. We've seen reports how they've, you know, uh, teamed up together uh, to skew information, to to hide stuff, to f f mess with the algorithm. Yeah, but still, a lot of good information comes through. But right, but uh, yeah, they they try to censor it, right? I mean, I, I had fifty eight thousand followers on Twitter. And I got kicked off because I was talking about vaccines are bad and uh, there's a new world order coming. In. But now I'm back on with Musk, so hopefully it's better. But I hear I hear they're going to try to put in some more censorship, and that, that would not be good. But we're still doing pretty good. we got your show and my book, so we're hanging in there. Yeah, man. And talk, talk about the JFK assassination, because I know you wrote a book about that. Let's talk about that. I wrote one chapter in my book about... I actually interviewed a guy who was one of Lyndon Johnson's lawyers, and he uh -oh. says Lyndon, 
Lyndon Johnson was the mastermind of Kennedy's assassination. I don't believe that. I think he had something to do with it. But uh, I, I think it was more CIA, deep state, military industrial complex. The, the guy I interviewed named Barr McClellan, he's still alive. He was one of Johnson's lawyers. And Johnson was in on it, I think, because a few months, he always kept a diary, Johnson. And uh, he always talked about in his diary every day what he was talking about. A few months before the assassination, he met with Alan Dulles, who was the ex-head of the CIA, who Kennedy fired. I mean, Alan Dulles is an assassin. You can't fire that guy. And uh, on the day that Johnson was talking to Alan Dulles, nothing was in his diary. So a couple of months before the assassination. So I think maybe he was talking about the assassination then, you know. And then like an hour or two after the assassination, uh, LBJ's right-hand man, guy named Clifton Carter, he called up the DA in Dallas and said, Oswald acted alone. Oswald acted alone. There's no conspiracy. How did he know a few hours after there was no conspiracy? There's probably LBJ covering it up, you know? Jeez. And, and he, so how can LBJ's lawyer reveal that sort of information to you? And even like, I thought it's all client uh, uh, privilege. I thought it's yeah, I think he he client attorney from, privilege or whatever. It's yeah, I think that's what it's called. Go ahead. He broke away from um, that law firm uh, because he just got disenchanted. You know, he's sort of a good guy, an honest guy, and the law firm's completely corrupt. But uh, I don't think he's any revealing any liar, lawyer client um, uh, privilege information. He's just giving out some good information that really makes you think that LBJ, in his opinion, LBJ. Uh, was a mastermind, but uh, it makes you think LBJ had something to do with it. He knew what was going on, you know. Kennedy assassination is so intriguing, you know. There's so much uh, intriguing information to it, you know. What did you think about it? I think. Like, what, what do you think? What do you think about the overall outcome of this scenario? What do you think happened after doing all your research? I think it was more of the deep state. I think Johnson knew about it. He was in on it, but it was like. Uh, you know, the Bilderberg Group, the, the CIA, they're all connected, you know, uh, the Rothschilds, Rockefellers, and Kennedy was doing things like not listening to what the CIA wanted him to do. He maybe was going to try to get rid of the Federal Reserve. He was going against the establishment. So the establishment uh, had him killed, you know. And Bush was the head of the CIA at the time. Do you think Bush had something to do with it? He wasn't the head of the CIA, but he was... Uh, part of the CIA then. Yeah, oh, I, I, thought he, I thought he was the head of it, no? No, he became the head of, in like 1970-something. He was Okay, so yeah. he's, but he still nonetheless had a very high up position. Yeah, yeah. And so do you think he had something to do with it? Do you think he knew and was in on it? I think so, yeah. I think actually, you know, the, you know, the uh, Cuban exiles, they went to attack the Bay of Pigs and Kennedy didn't support that. So those guys turned on Kennedy and killed him. And I heard that the, the boats that were approaching the Bay and Pigs, one was named the Houston and the other was named the Barbara. Barbara was Bush's uh, wife and Houston was where uh, uh, Bush lived, you know? So I think he was a part of it, yeah. And then he said uh, things like he couldn't remember where he was when Kennedy got shot. And then the guy who was handling, uh, handling Lee Harvey Oswald was somebody that Bush knew. So I think Bush knew what was going on. He was part of the CIA. And he knew what was going on. I mean, you just think about the whole scenario. 
driving around in a convertible. I mean, you know, just not smart. Not smart. I mean, you, you've got snipers on roofs everywhere. You know, Secret Service wasn't nearly as evolved back then as it is now. You didn't have the technology to trace a lot of these, you know, uh, suspects beforehand. You, you just didn't, you didn't have all the resources and tools. And they're, they're, they have this guy, the President of the United States, with only a few people around him, very little protection, in a convertible. Yeah. Driving through the main, driving through one of the main streets in Dallas, Texas. Yeah, some people say JFK was very negligent. He shouldn't have been doing that. I think that's right. You know, what the? I mean, you? Does it make? It's just like were times just different back then? Like nobody would ever expect something like that would could could occur. I mean, what 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 do you think was the logic behind that? I mean, because. Nowadays, that will never happen. I mean, I mean, and that wouldn't have even happened, you know, after they saw that. I'm sure they they never did that again with any president. I, I don't think they did, actually. Um, but Secret I'm just saying, like, like, think about it, though. Secret Service might have been in on it, you know. They might have took the bubble off the, the limousine and drove them uh, through there because they might have been in on the conspiracy, you know. You but think conservatives were in on it? The Secret Service. Secret maybe. Service. Maybe, yes, yes. Because if you look, the shots are ringing out at Kennedy, and the driver of the limousine is slowing down the limousine. And he's looking back at Kennedy, and then Kennedy gets shot, and then he he takes off. It's suspicious, you know? What so, about Jack, What about Jack Ruby? What about his, his – you, well, you didn't really mention Jack Ruby much. What do you think of his role? He was uh, connected probably to the mafia and the CIA, and Oswald was supposed to be killed – Right after the uh, at at the Texas School Book Depository, or when he was uh, when he was uh, captured, they were supposed to kill him because Oswald knew he was a patsy. He was going to speak up, had connections to the CIA, and so Ruby, um, uh, he was part of the CIA and the mafia, and they told him to kill to kill Oswald to keep him quiet. Oh wow, a lot of intrigue, you know? <laughs> yeah. Very interesting. Very interesting. Talk about the Martin Luther King thing. Yeah, that's another, you know, most people probably don't realize Martin Luther King Jr. was probably killed by a conspiracy too. And probably by the government because he was going to lead. I believe that. Yeah. He was going to lead a march into Washington. He was killed April 4th, 1968. Going to leave a march into Washington to try to stop poverty in May. And there would have been too many people. They they would have been got out of control. There would have been riots, you know. So probably the government killed him. I interviewed a guy who was close friends with Martin Luther King. Uh, he uh, wrote a book about it. He's still alive. His name is Dr. William Pepper. And um, he was a pole bearer at King's uh, funeral. And in 1999, uh, the King family sued this guy, Lord Jowers, because he said he was part of a conspiracy to kill King. And the jury concluded that, yes, this guy was part of a conspiracy and also the U.S. government was. That, that's what they concluded because uh, Pepper had some some ex-intelligence agents uh, saying they were in on a conspiracy to kill King. So, I mean, this is the King killing populism, you know. King was such a populist leader and leading such uh, uh, probably going to lead a march against the Vietnam War. And I believe that's what's happening with Trump now. They're trying to kill populism. They're doing anything to they can to assassinate him because he's too much of a populist leader. 
they're assassinating him in the media. They're not going to shoot him because that would be him uncouth, you know? <laughs> I hear you, man. I hear you. It's, uh, it's crazy times. And I, I want to ask you about veteran and author Robert, Robert B. Stinnett on Pearl Harbor. Yeah, he wrote a book, came out like 2002, about all the evidence that the government probably let Pearl Harbor happen to give us an excuse to get into World War II. He was a uh, World War II veteran himself, uh, but he wrote this book, Day of Deceit. Might be uh, because of his book, the Congress changed what it always said about Pearl Harbor. It always said that Pearl Harbor was the fault of the military commanders in Hawaii. But then he had all this information that the White House and the Navy were getting messages that uh, the J Japan was uh, approaching Pearl Harbor. And so they changed, they changed it. They said it was the White House's fault. The White House apparently let it happen to give us an excuse to go to war, war in World War II. You know, they needed an excuse. So you, so you think World War II, from from your sources and all the due diligence you did, could have been prevented? Yeah, yeah. What uh, about? Go ahead. Well, go ahead. What What do you want? <laughs> I was going to say World War One, though. Do you think that was inevitable? That had to happen. Well, I think it's the same guys uh, starting these wars. It's super rich international bankers. You know, they got the influence. And if, if these guys would stop starting wars, then we wouldn't necessarily have, have to have them, you know? I think it's guys behind the scenes, powerful guys, who are instigating these horrible things, really. Yeah, and I'm not – I'm an I'm anti-war. I'm not I, – I can't stand war. You know, I, I think it should always be the very last resort. But – we also know that the military industrial complex is a business and they need to make their money and going to war is about profit. Yeah, really, really. Well, that's what was good about Trump. He really saw that he, he didn't start one war. You know, I think he was really, uh, he really saw how horrible freaking war is and uh, he didn't start one war and he was into stopping the wars. Going back, going back to Martin Luther King, what the hell was he doing? It's like where he was, he was on the balcony, right? He was, and why, another, another scenario, being right out in the open, not a lot of protection. I mean, a guy like that shouldn't be protected at all costs. But then again, like I said earlier, technology wasn't evolved back then like it is now. You, you can't track people. You can't you know, have the type of security that's quick like it is now so i mean i can i can we can put that in there but still i mean i i still think there could have been something that they could have done to prevent his death yeah yeah he um you know i think it was different times they didn't think they would shoot somebody in the street i think stepping out into the balcony wasn't a big deal but he had a premonition about it that i think the day before he uh, got killed he had a premonition he was going to be killed i think yeah. he saw himself as sort of a martyr you know, he, he knew it was dangerous marching through the streets, but he, he felt the cause was so good, I guess, that he was going to take a chance. And But he, he had a premonition about it. I think, he, I think he saw himself as a martyr, and he was going to fight for the cause, even though it was very dangerous, you know? And what about the FBI that came out with all these files about him? Did you ever look into that? You know, I don't trust the FBI. I, think I don't either. <laughs> Forever Bullshit Institute, no. <laughs> I mean, apparently he, you know, was with a lot of prostitutes, did a, did a lot of drugs, 
who knows if that's true, you know, um, yeah. nobody, you know, that's what they say in some of the reports. Um, they're trying to look, make them look bad, you know, because yeah, yeah, they do. That's what, that's yeah. what they, yeah. Although if it's true, I don't know if he did drugs and he was with women, you know, yeah, I mean, who, who is it? Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, uh, no, but getting, getting back to, um, yeah, the MLK thing, man, that was, um, yeah, that was that, and that that was that was right. That was after Kennedy, right? Yeah, it was, a couple of years after, right? Uh, five years after, April fourth, nineteen sixty-eight. Then two months later, Robert Kennedy got Robert Kennedy. Yeah, right after Robert Kennedy died. Oh my, yeah. Yeah, it was um, the deep and state taking out uh, taking out populist political leaders, you know. And do you think Robert Kennedy's death um, was a similar sort of? Inside job that JFK went through. Yeah, you know Robert Kennedy Jr. He talks about that. How uh, yeah, the the bullets that killed RFK Jr. I mean RFK, they came from the behind, but Sirhan Sirhan was in front of them at all, all times. But there was a security guard who worked for the CIA standing behind Robert Kennedy, so he probably killed him. That's what Bobby Kennedy Jr. believes. You know, I mean, yeah. if you're a populist anti-establishment leader. The establishment's gonna kill you. Yeah, I, I do. I do got to let you go here in a few minutes. I got to get to my next guest, but I got a couple more questions for you. Um, G. Edward Griffin on the Federal Reserve Bank. Speak on that real quick. Yeah, G. Edward Griffin. You know, he's like the leader of the uh, the uh, truth community. You know, he's been speaking out against the New World Order for ever since like 1965. Right. And the main way they got us by the gonads, the deep state, is through the banking system. If the government would just release its own money and not pay interest, we could have a happy economy. But the Federal Reserve System and these other central banks uh, destroy destroy society with inflation and debt. You know, that's what I talked to him about. Jerry Griffin. I actually talked to him yesterday too. I interviewed him again. But that's what that book was. Uh, that interview was about. You know, the Federal Reserve System is uh, not a good system. It's not not the founding fathers wanted. And that's something we've been talking about trying to get rid of for a long time. Um, do you ever see that happening? Or is that a pipe, is that a pipe dream, wishful thinking? Maybe I, not soon, but maybe more and more people will, uh, will realize it. And maybe in a few decades, maybe we'll finally get rid of it. You know, I don't think it's going to happen soon. But if more and more people wake up, more and more congressmen, and maybe we'll get rid of it, thankfully, hopefully. They just have so much, they have too much power and too much influence. Yeah. Yeah. But if you have the government releasing its own money and not paying interest and releasing it in proper proportion, then you can have a happy economy with no debt and inflation and you have a happy society, you know, it's very important. And I hear you. And then a uh, final thing before you go, you also talk about in the book with professor David Ray Griffin, about 9-11 and other things. Talk about that. Yeah, he was like the foremost expert on the, uh, you know, the evidence that the government let 9-11 happen. He died a, a year or two ago. So I got, that might be one of his last interviews. So, you know, there's a lot of uh, information. Probably the government let it happen because they want to take military control of the Middle East, you know. They'll take over all these countries. That's where the terrorists are. But then people would say, you know, if the bombs were in the building, how did they get in the building? How do you sneak bombs inside a building? An interesting fact related to that is the security uh, firm in charge of the World Trade Center, 
at that time was run by George Bush's brother and George Bush's cousin. So make of that what you will, you know. But it's a lot of evidence, you know. They let 9-11 uh, happen to give us an excuse to go to war in the Middle East. That's what I talked to David Roy Griffin about in that interview. And did you see about a week before the towers hit, a guy by the name of Larry Silverstein who owned the World Trade Centers took out a big insurance policy that was a that had to do with terrorism? Yeah, yeah. How suspicious. Christ. Very suspicious. And they also took out a bunch of gold and a bunch of money out of the bottom of the towers a day or two before they got hit. So, I mean, it, 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 there are a lot of unanswered questions, a lot of things that people should question and people should wonder about. And we've never gotten full transparency. Think about all the victims in 9-11, their families that haven't gotten documents released, that they're keeping all these documents sealed. I mean, that's, that's horrible. Yeah, that's a big taboo. You can't question 9-11. You can't question vaccines. I think those are the two big cover-ups of our times, you know? <laughs> yeah, and what do you think What do you think about the whole uh, scenario with the with the uh, vaccines and the going forward? Do you think they're going to do more lockdowns? Do you think we're going to see more of that, more of? Well, I think more and more people are waking up, you know? I think the big pharma and the government is never going to admit that this vaccine is dangerous. Right. These big farmers making a lot of money and the government is taking the money from big farmers. But I think maybe more than 50% of people realize that the COVID vaccine is dangerous now. You think it's more than 50%? So if more and more people realize, I don't think they're going to be able to pull off another lockdown. I hope not, you know? Well, I said that, you know, because the way it went down, down the first time, 70% obeyed, they complied, uh, they went along with the experiment. 70% did, only 30% fought back, so it worked. So why wouldn't they try it again? If 70% complied, that's the majority. They, the government has them. You know, if you're going to fear monger and tell everybody they're going to die if they don't get a, get a shot, uh, sadly, mo like, like we just said, most people are going to react to that. I never bought into it. I, I never got the vaccine. I, I don't believe in that stuff. I mean, I believe in holistic approaches. I believe in natural healing. And I, I haven't been sick in 20 years. I never get sick. So I work out every day. I eat healthy. I take vitamins. You know, I, I do things properly. And I think more people should do that. I think too many people are so focused on pharmaceuticals to cure their problems. And it's a, and it's nothing but a moneymaker. And they just get richer and richer. These, it's, it's sick. It's sick, sick. That's true. A big pharma is as corrupt as Wall Street. They're corrupt big pharma. They just want to sell us drugs. All right. Oh, I hear you, man. I hear you. And so what else? So and, and is this your only book you got? Is this the only yeah, it, yeah, that's my only book. Uh, selling pretty good on Amazon. Most people give it five stars. So uh, I got a recommendation there from Jim Mars. My editor was the same editor who edited uh, Roger Stone's books. You know, You know Roger Stone, right? Uh, I, I've had him on a couple years ago. Yeah. My editor was the same editor who edited uh, Roger Stone. I think I want to write another book. Hopefully, it, I don't know. I, I, it takes me a long time to write another one. It might not come out for three years. I hear you, man. I hear you. Well, tell everybody where they can get involved, all that good stuff, and we'll get you back on here soon. American Conspiracies and CoverUps.com. Got to put a slash between covers and ups. Just put my name. You see my name there, Douglas Servano on Amazon. The book's there. You can get it for 99 cents for the ebook now. 
and thanks a lot. It's been good talking to you. Thanks, thanks. Yeah, Douglas, I got to ask you, but last thing before you go, what do you think about the Las Vegas shooting? I mean, we have so many unanswered questions, so many things that they haven't given, you know. Wait, is this the one that happened a year or two ago? The one, no, the one that happened four or five years ago, the guy off the building at the people at the festival, it was like the deadly, ma the deadliest massacre in U.S. history with, yeah. guns, with guns. You know, I think a lot of these shootings are, it's the CIA or the deep state doing it because they want to take our guns. They say, look, there's another mass shooting. We got to take all your guns because they want to take our guns so they can get the big brother. I think that has something to do with it. Yeah, I don't know, man. It's a confusing time. I wouldn't put I wouldn't put anything past any anything or anyone anymore. Um, Douglas, again, where can people find you? Uh, my website, American Conspiracies and There it is. Right. My, my Twitter is uh, US Conspiracies One. Uh, all right, man. We'll see, we'll talk to you soon. We'll be Thanks right more. back, everybody. We'll be right back, everybody. Stay with us. Let's do this. People always say, don't assume the worst. You excited? Yeah. Is it a boy or girl? We don't know. Sometimes the worst is exactly what you should assume. So my wife is in the hospital. She's about to give birth. Drive. This is a family emergency. I'm your family emergency now. Whatever it is that you want, it's yours. Is this the wife? David, where are you? Ah! I mean, are you happy? You and your wife have a happy marriage? Just stick away from my family. That's rude. You interrupting me, don't. You know what I don't need tonight? Stress. <laughs> Let's just make wise decisions. Watch the speed limits. Where are we going? You're not listening to me. I will shoot you. And this cop! I told you not to speed. We should play a little game. I want you to tell me the truth. If you don't, I am gonna kill Mr. Happy Trucker and this waitress. Ready? You got me confused with someone else. Really? Not who you think I am. I've never even told you who I think you are, so how could you know you're not who I think you are? Tick, 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 tick. Sit back down! It's getting good. Oh. I'm not gonna die tonight. Dressed up for this. I, I wanted to be 100% sex tonight, and you cut that in half. I'm now 50% sex. People tend to think the more violent the death, the higher to heaven you go. Better to rain in hell, wouldn't you agree? Pick up the phone, James. What, what, what are you, ghosting me? What are you, Dr. Ross, my psychiatrist? <laughs>
I think my parents are in some kind of trouble. Oh, Ashley's in trouble. What is it this time? Get on that flight and do not come back without my hard drive. Purpose for your visit? Pleasure. Lay low for a few minutes. Welcome to the island. I'm losing my patience. Oh, no, no. <laughs> Boom, kills him. I just got out of here with my life. Did you shoot me? I guarantee you there's more men that are already coming. And they will not stop until we are all dead. Come on, Ashley. Come on, Ashley. Who are you? The old guy, he keeps killing everybody. Everybody. Isn't he? Yeah, your dad's totally an assassin. Grandpa! Here, have some more syrup, sweetheart. I'm Mike Lindell, and I'm excited to announce my new product, My Coffee. I get products all the time from entrepreneurs for my new platform, MyStore.com. And when I tried my coffee for the first time, I was blown away. It is the best coffee I've ever had in my life. I spent the last four months doing my due diligence and this family owned business micromanages every step from the fields to the cup to ensure the best quality coffee you're ever gonna have. It starts with the beans that are grown in Honduras. Honduras's volcanic soil and humid climate make the perfect growing conditions for coffee plants which produce the best beans ever. Then each batch is tested for its aroma, taste, and other aspects to meet the highest standards in the coffee industry. And after that, it goes into production, which is all done right here in the USA. It's like you're getting that small batch specialty coffee, but delivered right to your front door. So go to mystore.com or call the number on your screen, use the promo code and you'll get your very own My Coffee for 25% off. You guys all know that I've traveled the country for the past year and a half. I've stayed in hundreds of hotels. I've tried every coffee out there. Well, some of the coffees have that terrible aftertaste, some that leave me jittery or I get an upset stomach. Well, my coffee is different. It's the richest, smoothest, best coffee I've ever had. My coffee comes in a variety of flavors. You get them ground or whole bean, plus it's certified organic and non-GMO. I guarantee it'll be the best coffee you've ever had. So go to mystore.com or call the number on your screen. Use your promo code and you'll get my coffee for 25% off. And I'm going to give you deep discounts on all my store products. That's mystore.com. It's my new platform for USA entrepreneurs. Please order now. Just like that, a moment turns romantic. So why pause to take a pill? 
And when you're having fun, why stop to find a bathroom? With Cialis for daily use, you don't have to plan around either. It's the only daily tablet approved to treat erectile dysfunction, so you can be ready anytime the moment is right. Plus, Cialis treats the frustrating urinary symptoms of BPH, like needing to go frequently, day or night. Tell your doctor about all your medical conditions and medicines and ask if your heart is healthy enough for sex. Do not take Cialis if you take nitrates for chest pain or a dempus for pulmonary hypertension, as it may cause an unsafe drop in blood pressure. Do not drink alcohol in excess. Side effects may include headache, upset stomach, delayed backache, or muscle ache. To avoid long-term injury, get medical help right away for an erection lasting more than four hours. If you have any sudden decrease or loss in hearing or vision, or any symptoms of an allergic reaction, stop taking Cialis and get medical help right away. Why pause the moment? Ask your doctor about Cialis for daily use. And for a $200 savings card, go to Cialis.com. And we are back, coming to you live from Palm Springs, California. This is Rory Sodder and the news. My next guest has had hell, one hell of a life, has had quite the career. It's been quite the journey. Uh, Richard Schreiner, your first time on the program. Great to have you here, my friend. Uh, it's an honor. Uh, first and foremost, give us a bio, a background, how it all started for you, all that fun jazz. Well, I'm a historian, a uh, history professor for 30 years. I've been interested in a lot of things. I've got a curious mind. Me too. I've over a dozen books. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. Uh, I um, was a historic preservation advocate. Before I went into uh, academia, I founded a nonprofit preservation group in greater Washington, D.C., Fighting powerful developers and sleazy politicians, right? To save historic buildings that they wanted to blow off the face of the earth. And now that I've retired from teaching, I'm getting back into a little bit of that again. But I'm still writing books. And my latest one is about President Dwight Eisenhower, a man who is uh, very different from a lot of things we've gotten used to, but I think has uh, some interesting uh legacies to offer to the american people if they step back you know from their present way of thinking and and uh doing things and look at the way things were uh over a half century ago we can learn from it i'm not saying that everything was perfect of course everything wasn't perfect um but one thing that this president did was to create uh an america that was united powerful prosperous free and strong and I say, what's wrong with that? It's it's an achievement uh, we could learn from a lot. What would you say his top three um, accomplishments were? Well, all right. Um, you're going to flinch at this, maybe, because uh -oh. he was the one who warned against the military-industrial complex, right? Yeah. Right. Except he helped create it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. At the same, while, while at the same well, time. Yeah. Point is, he had to. Because with the, the uh, emergence of nuclear weapons, the old simple days when the United States was either completely at war or at peace, who would never come again. Uh, these weapons were out there. The technology could not be uninvented. There are a lot of you know, dangerous nuts out there who can get these weapons and, and would like to do us in. So uh, what are we supposed to do as a nation? Disarm? I don't think so. No. Definitely, definitely not disarmed, no. Well, the military-industrial complex, call it the deep state if you want to, is an inevitable development in a world as dangerous and organized in patterns of coordinated force as this world is. 
And we're not going to defend ourselves, you know, through rugged individualism, not in a world like this, not against powerful super states with weapons like those. So here you've got a career soldier, a man who knew how to protect himself, a man who learned how to shoot in Abilene, Kansas, only 20 years after Wild Bill Hickok, you know, and the legendary lawmen cleaned it up and made it a safe place for decent people to live. Uh, he dedicated his life to the fighting arts. He dedicated his life to a military career. And then as president of the United States, he gave the American people eight uninterrupted years of peace. Now that's uh, unusual. I mean, some of Eisenhower's close friends and colleagues in, in the army um, fellow warriors in World War II, George Patton, for example, you know about General Patton, right? Old, oh, yeah. Old blood and guts. All right. He was a military genius, uh, brilliant battlefield commander, wonderful character, but he was a bit of a warmonger. <laughs> There's just no question about it. Eisenhower, Ike, as they used to call him, never was. Now, there are reasons for that. And uh, when I decided to tell the story of his life, when I decided to study the story of his life, to learn more than I did, I found out some, uh, to me, surprising and interesting things, not least of all about the way he developed emotionally. He was not a thinking machine. He was full of, you know, passion as we all are. That's part of the story that this book has to tell. I could go on if you want me to. I'll keep going, keep going yeah. Oh, you like it. All right. Yeah. Well, look. Eisenhower uh, was born uh, to uh, a father and mother who were devoutly religious. Uh, they were members of a German Mennonite sect called the River Brethren. And like the Amish, they're pacifists, okay? Um, but otherwise, Eisenhower's father and mother were opposite sorts of personalities. His dad, David Eisenhower, very sad sort of man, a failure angry, frustrated, you know, everything he tried came to nothing. And he took it out on his kids. He was a mean guy, savage disciplinary, and a very hard father to love. Whereas Ike's mother, Ida, a wonderful woman. I mean, terrific, smart, funny, supportive. He adored her uh, till the day he died. He said so in the last memoir he wrote. All right, so he loves his mother, can't relate to his father. He doesn't want to be a mama's boy, now does he? At least that was the way things were in those days. You don't want to grow up a mama's boy. So he goes around town looking for tough guys, you know, as mentors, role models. And he finds a whole series of uh, rugged guys who taught him how to camp out, cook over a campfire, play poker, bluff at poker, <laughs> shoot. Uh, one of the, uh, the guys who uh, taught him in target practice claimed to have been a deputy to Wild Bill Hickok. Ike studies ancient military history. He decides to go to West Point, become a career soldier, breaks his mother's heart. She's a pacifist, but he does it anyway. Now, how does he reconcile it? Well, I don't know exactly, but I do have a theory. I don't think it's all that hard to guess. Uh, he adores this mother who's a fervent pacifist. He decides to dedicate his life to the manly fighting arts. How does he reconcile the two? Here's the way I think he did it. He said, I will learn the fighting arts, but I will use those fighting arts to deliver my mother's fondest wish, peace. Just like Bill Hickok and the lawmen here did, I will be a guardian of peace. And that is how you get this career soldier becoming the president who gives America and the world eight years of peace. I'm not sure it was even conscious. 
but I think it all took shape in his mind when he was a kid and it just played out over the decades. So you think he's the greatest president of all time? No, I don't. I think Lincoln is the greatest president of all time. I've written a number of books on Lincoln. I, uh, look, I don't like to get into this rating game, number one, number two, the best, the next best, that sort of thing. Everybody is unique. You know, you are, I am, um, I don't like to play games like that, but I, I certainly, I can tell you that uh, I do, my greatest admiration does go to Lincoln. I regard him as an absolute genius, nothing less. Uh, Eisenhower, well, he's way up there. And the, the more I've studied him, the, the more I've, I've come to respect him, almost stand in awe of some of the things he did. I mean, uh, four years before Sputnik, uh, you know, the first Russian satellite, Russians beat us into space. Eisenhower was giving secret orders, here's your deep state again, to develop the capacity for space-based surveillance, spy satellites. He wanted to know exactly what the Russians had. Insofar as technology could deliver that information to him, he didn't want to guess. One of the reasons why, he didn't want to overspend on defense, but he didn't want to underspend on defense either. He wanted to know what he was talking about and not say wild, you know, uninformed things. So he puts together this brilliant technology. Now, I think, and I cannot prove it, I think he um, was, I'm not saying he let the Russians beat us into space, but I'm... I'm willing to say I think he found it handy for them to do it first, see? Because that sets a whole new legal precedent. You can put a satellite over the territory of another nation. Uh, and, uh, you know, the Russians set the precedent for doing it, which, which means that now we can do it. And in terms of international law, they can't complain about it because they did it first, see? Now that's slick. Slick. And I... I he delivered magnificent results that way in the early eight, am i talking a blue streak i'm sorry i i do tend to get no you're good no i like it no keep going well all right in, in I'm, I'm, just, I'm, I'm listening okay in 1982 a political scientist at at uh, princeton a guy named fred greenstein wrote a book called the hidden hand presidency eisenhower as leader hidden hand now there's your deep state again he was a deceiver he was brilliant in the arts of deception but Look, it's a dangerous world. Uh, I'm just talking in terms of our everyday modus operandi. Do we, uh, any of us, just walk down the street blurting out our deepest intention to everyone all the time? Well, as the kids would say, duh. I mean, of course not. Uh, I mean, if if you're, uh, you know, you're a parent and and you've got a sudden emergency, you've got to go down the block, and you tell your your five year old kid. Uh, daddy's coming right back, but but if if anyone knocks on the door and asks you if your parents are home, right? What do you tell them? No, my parents aren't home. <laughs> Don't you dare tell them the truth. Now this is this is grown up ethics. See, there are times when you deceive. You're damn right. What if you're living in Nazi Germany uh, and you're a devout Christian, so devout that that you are putting yourself at risk by protecting Jews in your house so the Nazis don't kill him. And then the, the dark day comes when the Gestapo knocks on the door and puts it to you point blank. Are you hiding Jews in your house? What are you going to tell them? The truth? Oh, of course not. You're going to lie and bloody well hope you can make the lie as convincing as you can. This is a grown-up world. There are times when uh, things aren't all perfect and nice. 
There are times when things are messy and nasty and rough. And uh, that's why you need the soldier's arts, I think, uh, to keep, <laughs> you know, to, to, to uh, watch your back. Yeah, no, I hear you. In regard, you're a historian, so that means you, I assume, I imagine uh, that you've probably studied every president thoroughly. Uh, well, some more thoroughly than others, I have to admit. Who would you say is the most humorous? Who had the best personality? Oh, Lincoln was a wonderfully funny you know, yeah. man when, when he wanted to be. The Lincoln humor right. uh, was legendary. Uh, Franklin Roosevelt had a mischievous sense of humor. Uh, Teddy Roosevelt, you know, his, his older fifth cousin, uh, had a, a great sense of humor. Let's see, Harry Truman, uh, John F. Kennedy. You're just talking about, you know, that poor man's assassination. If you look uh, at video- I was going to say Dick Nixon, too. I thought he was hilarious, no? Well, unintentionally so, I believe. <laughs> he was a pretty grim guy. I, I, you know, I was in college when Watergate happened. I remember Dick Nixon all too well. But I was a kid when Kennedy was president. Uh, I was interested you- in the news and- well, I remember his press conferences. He was so clever. The Kennedy wit, they called it. You know, reporters would ask him questions and he'd come up with some mischievous quip, you know, and, and he had the whole, you know, press corps in stitches. He was very funny. Reagan could be extremely funny. Right. Well, you know, he, he had all the gifts of a Hollywood star. He knew how to put on the kind of performance he wanted to. Reagan could be extremely funny. Bill Clinton, I mean, since we're on the subject of presidential humor, a lot of different kinds of humor, different styles, you know. Right, right. No, absolutely. I mean, if you had to pick, if you had to pick one, who would you say is this, this, the funniest? I mean, if we're talking, you know, if, if, if you're just going to laugh uncontrollably and, you know, who, who would it be, do you think? I mean, if, well, overall. I, I'm, I'm going to, I know there's, uh, there's so many, the, you know, different styles of humor, uh, come and go. What one generation finds funny. Would it be, would it be <laughs> Trump? Would it be Trump? Yeah. Would it be Trump the funniest? Uh, I didn't find him funny. Uh, <laughs> he tried to be sometimes. I was, uh, not a fan of Donald Trump. I don't want to get into that though, because. No, I, I hear you. I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not really much of a, big supporter of him anymore either. Um, I, think I, he's I, I used to be, I used to be, but not much anymore. I, I think he's extremely dangerous. Uh, I, I, I agreed with his policies. I just, there's, there, there are some policies that I agreed with, but I did not agree with the, the, he raised the debt more than Obama. He printed endless amounts of money. He, he caved into lockdowns. Um, he was, you know, all this, all these things that, I'm 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 upset with him for reasons that are different than why the Democrats are mad at him. I'm, I have my own reasons. I think he screwed our economy uh, with with the stimulus, the stimulus. You know, like I said, the raising the debt more than Obama, the lockdowns. Well, Biden was the one who who did the stimulus. I mean, to recover from COVID. Am I? Am I? No, anything? Trump started the whole stimulus checks. Yeah, Trump did more. Yeah, Trump did. Biden barely gave any. Uh, but Biden, Biden, obviously, I mean, do you think Biden's worse than Trump? I mean, who would you rather have? Well, I don't want to 
get into current politics right now. Well, well, no, but what do you know? But give me give me your thoughts on on how you feel currently about the Biden administration. Are you? Are well, you- I don't. Uh, I don't approve of everything Biden's done. I think the withdrawal from Afghanistan was very badly handled. Um, and uh, um, if that had happened on my watch, I'd feel pretty ashamed of it. Very bad planning. Um, but otherwise, uh, I mean, there are presidents I've, I've seen in office during my lifetime who inspired me more. There have been presidents during my lifetime who I think have done better on uh, a lot of issues. But I, for one, uh, give Biden credit because the man is trying to, to unite the nation, to calm us down and, and try to get along, see the things we agree about instead of hating each other all the time. And that's something I'm very much for. What do you think of Kennedy, Robert Kennedy Jr.? Well, I, uh, I respect science. Uh, the scientific process is open. The scientific process is adversarial. When these scientists screw up in an experiment, it's out in the open, and, and their, their own peers will, will come down on them, you know, like a ton of lead. Uh, there are many, many levels of protection and cross-protection uh, built into the system. I do trust science. I did get vaccinated. Um, eight years ago, I'm suddenly diagnosed with stage two cancer, you know, out of nowhere. Uh, and the doctor says, uh, you're going to have to have radical surgery and chemo or uh, you've got less than a year to live. So uh, I went under the knife, all right. Maybe I shouldn't burden you with this personal stuff. No, go ahead. No, absolutely. Well, here no. I am. Here oh, I yeah. am. Here I am to tell the story. Uh, it was Johns Hopkins Hospital in Baltimore near me, one of the greatest hospitals in the world. You know, ultra scientific medicine. These people know what they're talking about. And I did put my life in their hands and here I am. Um, so, no, I, I think uh, Robert Kennedy's uh, Jr. Is, is way off base. I mean, it was a global emergency. You know, you know, this spooky new virus, lethal, millions of people, you know, were being done in by it. Uh, what the hell were we supposed to do? I didn't like the lockdowns either. They made me so goddamn mad. Here I come out of retirement with plans to lead an exciting life, and I'm stuck in the goddamn basement. You know, well, you know, it made me... Furious, but I could see the reason for it. I didn't like wearing masks. I don't wear them now. I did get the vaccine. Why? I mean, it was a crash program, uh, but they they tested and tested and tested to the best of their ability. Uh, and then, you know, they projected the percentages, the risks. They were very candid about it. I decided to take the chance. I got the, the two vaccines, boosters. Uh, I have had no side effects whatsoever. I have not had COVID. Um, you know, I'm 72. I may not look it, but, but, uh, I feel great. And, and I have every intention of of putting in another vigorous 20 years and I do trust science. So I don't know, you know, uh, I, and you and others like your previous guests, uh, we may disagree on these things, but that's another thing. I am prepared to disagree with people without hating them. See, Mm -hmm. uh, if we don't agree, all right, we don't agree. I, I think for myself, I demand you know, pretty uh, sound levels of proof when when people uh, claim things. 
my instinct is prove it. You know, you say it, prove it, you know, to my satisfaction. But some things cannot be fully proven. So you finally got to make a judgment call in the heat of action. I don't have complete information. What do the likelihoods feel like to me? Quick, quick now, I've got to decide. Do I swerve into the other lane or do I not? That's life in the fast lane. Uh, right, yeah. And civil discourse is, is more important now than ever. Well, that's there, but we but we've lost that in re, in in society in society back in the day people used to be able to disagree and you know coexist but now things have gotten so hostile and so like just just extreme well, that people are just at each other's throats you know? I, i'm trying to practice what i preach uh i in in what i've been saying to you and in the way that by the way you don't look anywhere near 72 my friend you look <laughs> you look you look very good for your age i i would have guessed late 50s my friend i know but, uh... i know i know well i tell you one of the reasons why is that uh i'll tell you several reasons why yeah. uh i have i try to lead an active life Me um, too. good uh, I try to make all my dreams the good ones now, not the sinister ones, the wholesome good. ones. Good. You probably had your sinister days just like we all do, you know? Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, you know, it happens. I try to make the good dreams come true. And if I can't, I at least told myself long ago, when I get old, I want to be able to look back and tell myself, well, at least you left nothing untried, okay? You left nothing untried. You were brave enough to try it all. And at age 72, I can say that. And one of, of the uh, first times that realization got uh, hammered into me, get this, on my 13th birthday, November 22nd, 1963, my 13th birthday, you know what day that was. Yeah. Wow. You President Kennedy gets blown away. And, and uh, I still haven't gotten over it, all right? Wow. When I see those films, the feelings come back. I can't watch them. Um, it was like a, a, a hammer blow and I learned a lot fast. I learned to myself that life is precious. Life is infinitely fragile. It goes very, very fast. And I said to myself, man, you, you pace yourself through this life. Don't waste time, you know, do the good things that you have it in you to do. So, uh, it was my fortune or misfortune or both to have had that hard experience and have come away from it the way I did. But anyway, I was saying, look, the way I've been talking to you right now, I've made it clear that, uh, you know, I listened carefully to what you and your previous guests were saying. And some of it I agree with, some of it I didn't agree with. And I'm being honest with you, I'm, I'm telling you, you know, I don't agree with this, I do agree with that. And we're not, you know, hating each other now, are we? I'm not, I don't no, think... No. Well, that's civil discourse. I think you're an awesome guy. I think you're a fun guy. I, I think we get along great. Well, well, thanks. That's what I think, too. So it is civil discourse, and we're practicing it right now. And, and that gets me back to uh, the Eisenhower book. His life, his leadership demonstrate that it can be done. How we work ourselves back toward that sort of thing is a very interesting question. I mean, I'm working with some uh, uh, very intelligent, troubled conservatives, Republicans, right now, who are thinking very seriously of forming a new party in 2025. Not to throw a monkey wrench into the works, but to shake up the system enough to get people 
you know, free to think and talk in, in, in different ways. Get out of their accustomed panels, uh, patterns, get away from the, you know, shoot from the hip reflexes. Uh, there's a group called Principles First. They're going to have a, a big convention in D.C. next February. I want to go. I mean, I want to find out what, what's going on there and, and contribute to it in, in any way if I can, because I think it's hopeful. It's, it's the sort of thing this country needs. We've got ourselves into a very, very bad place, and I hate to see that. I do love this country. Yeah, and forming a new party, a lot of people have tried that in the past. What makes this you know your scenario different can you explain that to the audience because it sounds like you guys are going to well, make a, a big boom parties, a big impact third parties have come and gone yeah uh things have always devolved back into a two-party system right um it's a unipart it's a uniparty system let's face it i mean it pretty much is a one-party system well i wouldn't say that i you know, I, I would say oh, i would say more than not though i think it's fair to say i think well uh to some extent i'm glad that there are unifying issues across no parties. but no but i we mean it, it, no but in regards i mean that could be looked that could be looked at in in, in two I different ways you know i understand what you're saying yeah okay Go no, ahead. I think there's a very strong uh, difference between the parties. Uh, in some ways, it's good to have uh, you know a, a stark clash of honestly opposite views. Sometimes that helps helps to clarify things. But sometimes, I mean, anything can go too far, and when it becomes so divisive, it's just tearing us apart. That's too far. So. Um, as I've said, I do want to see if uh, people of goodwill can find ways to honestly find out the things they do agree about that are good for the country and unify around those. Now, a third party of that kind, I think, could play a catalytic role, but third parties have come and gone. Uh, it's funny the, the way um, people talk about populism, you know, with a lowercase p these days and the inference is that it's it's trump style you know uh right uh of center populism um there are all kinds of different populisms i mean the populist party uh in the 1890s very few people know about that anymore it was starkly left <laughs> very left of center and very strong in the heartland <laughs> um, radical, but in a left-wing way. I mean, isn't American history interesting? The changes, the phases it's gone through. Um, people need to learn more about, you know, how complicated and sometimes downright strange uh, our history is. Um, I don't know if if this is on point or not. I'm no, no, I know, I know, I love, I, lo I love, and I want, I want to ask you. So Eisenhower. He was a he was a Republican. He was. So, so are you? How do you vote? Are you? Are you? If you don't mind me asking, are you an independent? Do you vote for? Do you like any of the Republicans that are running in this upcoming election? Like, what, yeah, what I like uh, I like Chris Christie a lot. I don't know if if that's going to ring any bells, you know, with uh, followers of your show. Chris Christie is is um, uh, he's a, a, a tough. <laughs> guy, uh, but not um, in ways that many people find very entertaining, I suppose. I think he's an extremely smart man. I find Chris Christie tough uh, in good ways. 
Um, I respect the man a lot. Uh, that may be a, a strange answer, one that you weren't expecting. I don't, I don't think he stands a chance right. getting the Republican nomination, but but I, I really think he's uh, he's got very interesting leadership potential. In some ways, I find him Nixonian. He's more a Nixon-type conservative, Chris Christie. But I don't find him sinister, you know, or crazy the way Richard Nixon was. Uh, there's nothing in his personality I can see that suggests that to me. Do you do you think, you know, we were bringing up third parties earlier. You 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 mentioned that um, you're going to be forming one. Oh, I'm not forming one. Some no, other people. No, 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 you've ta- no, but you're talking to other people that are thinking yeah. about it. Um, yes. the, the closest thing we see right now that's really powerful to a third party is the libertarians, and they can barely get that far. I mean, what? And they, and they, I mean, I would say in terms of a third party, they lead the way by a long shot. So I think anybody new that would come in would have a hard time over even overcoming the libertarians, if that makes any well, sense. Well, I don't know. I mean, the... The, the, the times... libertarians can't even get... You know, no, they anybody. can't. No, right. they can't. But the times are so volatile. So and the Green Party is starting to gain a lot of ground. It's crazy, actually. Yeah, well, uh, the Green Party is too far left for me. Um, yeah. I think their uh, policies are and principles are naive. Uh, I can't support them. Which is uh, not to imply that I never support left of center causes. It depends. As I say, I think for myself, you know, I try to step back, analyze things, look at different sides of the questions. Sometimes I, uh, I find that certain left wing causes have something to commend them. I mean, your previous guest was talking about money and banking, Federal Reserve, direct creation of, of money by government. Well, you know, that's actually a very interesting idea, and I've gotten into some of that uh, thinking myself. Generally, uh, that's uh, been uh, viewed as radical left thinking. Uh, Now it's becoming more uh, interesting to the radical right. I'd like to see it drawn into the center because especially in the world of electronic currencies, cryptocurrencies, direct electronic transmission of purchasing power, it provides a very interesting alternative. It has its dangers. Um, but during the Civil War, Lincoln and the Civil War Republicans practiced it uh, with the United States notes, the greenbacks, pure printing press money spent directly into circulation. And unlike Confederate money, which became worthless, as everybody knows, the, the Union greenbacks did not. Why? Why did they not become worthless? Well, there's, that's complicated. There are lots of reasons for it. But experiments along these lines have succeeded. And a mixed system in which you have, you know, private sector banking supplemented by, by direct government uh, money creation uh, and investment streams of money creation that converge, you know, uh, that's something, uh, well, I have written a book about it, actually. Back in 2016, how America can spend its way back to greatness. You might not find it convincing. You might not like it or approve of it. Um, but I'm I'm not averse to you know outside the box thinking. Not at all. Uh, but it's got to it's got to be sound enough to to hold its ground. You know, in a in a wacky, dangerous world. That's where I'm coming from. So you you don't you're not a fan of the Federal Reserve. 
I think the Federal Reserve has its uses. Uh, you know, life is complicated. Uh, banking has its uses. We all need to borrow money, you know, which means you need to have institutions set up to lend money. Now you've got banks set up to do that uh, uh, for a profit. Um, you've got to have the power to finance things that you can't pay for with cash out of pocket. We all know that if we bought a home or a car, it's necessary. Uh, but there are all different sorts of ways to organize it. I mean, for example, the Bank of England was created by Parliament in 1691. In 1946, the British government, under socialism, nationalized it. Yeah, British socialism. They nationalized the Bank of England, but free enterprise didn't uh, vanish far from it. Uh, the Bank of England went on lending money. Uh, it was it was the, the central source of investment funding for British business. It just became a publicly owned utility whose lending practices would be guided by the people's elected representatives. And that's, you know, socialism that proved perfectly, uh, you know, uh, harmless <laughs> in Great Britain. There's different kinds of socialism. There's different kinds of lots of things. So again, I, ha I have to ask myself, the hard questions, exactly what is it we're talking about? Under what exact circumstances? You know, what are the multiple ways in which it could go wrong? Have those been studied, you know, and so on and so forth? I'm methodical that way. And that's why I like Ike, because that's the way he was too. He had a no-nonsense mind. Uh, and, and he kept this nation so prosperous and safe. Um, and united, I mean, it was such an era of relaxation, you know, the age of rock and roll and Elvis and you know, good times in so many ways. What's wrong with that? Now, I, I think if Americans could rediscover the 1950s and the way things just clicked um, once Ike was in the White House, a whole new vista for the future would open up. I mean it. I really mean it. And I, you said what... Uh, his biggest accomplishments were, but you're a big Lincoln guy. I, I don't think I've ever, I, I don't think I asked you, what do you think Lincoln's top three accomplishments were that you, you think he's the greatest president of all time, but what do you think his three top three were? Well, uh, left of center, uh, critics of Lincoln who like to diminish his reputation, um, like to assert that he does not deserve to be known as the great emancipator. Uh, that others destroyed slavery. The abolitionists deserve more credit. Uh, some of the rebellious slaves themselves deserve more credit. Well, I say they all deserve credit, but slavery, an unquestionable monstrosity, you know, could have gone on and on, you know, in this country if it had not been for the genius of Lincoln in power orchestration. He, he killed slavery. Um, you know, people say he saved the Union. Well, he certainly did that. But there was a, a, a more um, pointed flip side to the save the Union proposition. Uh, in saving the Union, he also destroyed this potentially powerful new slave-holding nation, the Confederacy, based upon master race theory, Alexander Stevens of Georgia proclaimed in 1861, our new nation is the first in the world to be founded on the great scientific, <laughs> scientific truth of race inequality. See, now, if the Confederacy had won, they would have continued using slavery, not just to, to uh, um, 
harvest uh, crops, agricultural crops like cotton, um, the Confederacy had documented plans for conquest into Central and South America by the 1880s. The Confederate States could have been using slave labor to, to uh, um, get oil, rubber, all of these industrial products for export. Um, I think, and this might sound really far-fetched, but if you have this powerful, slave-holding, aggressive nation based on master race theory in the middle of the Western Hemisphere with the United States weakened, what more natural partner in the Axis Pact of World War II could there be than the Confederate States of America, a perfect partner to send, you know, oil, rubber, slave labor to the war machines of Hitler and Japan? I mean, I'm not saying Lincoln envisioned that, but he did envision a very, very dark future uh, if, if this monstrous system were not destroyed. And uh, he exerted the most brilliant leadership. Uh, he worked in a kind of insider-outsider orchestration with the abolitionists because there was a lot of racist uh, opinion in the North as well as in the South. And if Lincoln had come right out and said that his fundamental goal was to eradicate slavery, he never would have been elected in the first place. Uh, his party, the Republican Party, never would have kept control of Congress. The Democrats in those days, a very racist party, would have negotiated, you know, some sort of an easy peace with the Confederates. Lincoln was determined not to let that happen, but he used tricks. Um, I mean, if I get on the subject of Lincoln, I'll talk for hours, I'm telling you. Uh, uh, this guy was so brilliant and deceptive, but deceptive in a noble cause. I mean, and even to the point of being self-sacrificial, in January 1862, some abolitionists come to the White House and they say, you're, you're not moving fast enough against slavery. You're not doing enough. You're, you, you know, our, our followers, uh, our people out there uh, see you as, as uh, kind of a dunce. You don't get it. You're slow, you know. And Lincoln said, you know what? Go home and say that. I want you to call me names. Good, good. You know, because that increases the kind of pressure that I can use. <laughs> what kind of politician encourages his own followers to go home and trash his own reputation? I mean, uh, only Lincoln, Eisenhower did some of that too. Self-sacrificial, you know, um, they were willing to play a role uh, as part of a strategy to bring about a noble end. It's, it's very interesting stuff. I mean, there was, uh, there was a time in 1955 when a scary situation in uh, the Cold War came about. And Eisenhower was uh, playing for time, bluffing, trying to find a safe, peaceful way, you know, through the crisis. And his press secretary, James Hag Haggerty, came to him and he said, Mr. President, I know for a fact that a member of the press corps is going to ask you uh, this pointed, you know, a very, very tough question. It's a question you're not going to want to have to answer. And then after that, there's another one. I'll tell you what he's planning to ask. And Eisenhower just smiled and said, don't worry, Jim, I'll just confuse him. <laughs> so he gives this rambling, you know, almost incoherent answer. He was playing the fool. He wasn't one. He actually got kind of a kick out of it. He was a big prankster. Uh, when he was at West Point, uh, he, he was playing a role to buy himself more maneuvering room. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. He's a very, very interesting personality, interesting leader. Oh, I, lo I love it. I love it. I, I, I got I to gotta take 
Actually, no, we're, we're good, actually. I thought I had to take a quick commercial, but we're good. I had to get to my next guest here. Uh, yeah, but Schroeder. I haven't told you about his love life yet. Oh, no, no, no I want to hear about that real quick. Oh, you do, do you? Uh, yeah, Abraham Lincoln's love life. Let's hear about no. it. Oh, well, uh, Abraham Lincoln had a tragic love life. Oh, uh, is that is that who you're t- referring to? Well, I could talk about either one of them in terms oh, of you're, tragic uh, love Eisenhower lives. and Lincoln, huh? Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I did an article, you can find it online, comparing Lincoln and Eisenhower. Um, very interesting, not quite parallel lives, but but comparable, you know, in so many very strange and interesting ways. But Eisenhower, look, uh, for years there has been uh, this uh, sordid controversy about Ike and Kay Summersby. The name ring a bell to you? His wartime driver, secretary, assistant, did they or did they not, you know what, have an affair? And to uh, most people, it's just a sensational sex scandal. Well, if they want to view it that way, let them. You know, I can't stop them, but I see it as something far more tragic and profound. I think she was the love of his life and vice versa. Um, and he gave her up, dumped her, really, at the end of World War II. And then between the war and his presidency, he was miserable. He was just fit to be tied. Uh, didn't know which way to turn. Um, he had made a terrible sacrifice. Why did he do it? Well, I can't prove this theory. But look, remember the the vision that came upon him in childhood. He would learn the fighting arts and then use them to deliver his mother's fondest wish, peace. Well, he was... America's foremost war hero in World War II. He'd proven his skill in the fighting arts. But had he proven that he was a guardian of the peace? Well, no, he hadn't. Now, what would he have to do to do that? Well, you know what he would have to do. The presidential kingmakers were already circling around him. Democrats and Republicans wanted him. Uh, That was his destiny. But he was married. And in those days, if you were divorced, you were dead on arrival as a candidate, you know, in any primary, let alone the general election. It was it was taboo. You couldn't. I mean, it's crazy by today's standards. It was Reagan who broke that taboo in 1980. His wife, Nancy, was his second. He'd gotten a divorce. And by that time, people said, well, who cares? You know, life is complicated. But in Ike's day, oh, no, you couldn't do it. So he has to make this all or nothing choice. M- get a divorce from his wife, Mamie, and marry this gorgeous woman who adored him, uh, and then just take life easy, you know, rest on his laurels, tour the world, relax, enjoy things uh, as a hero, knowing that somebody else, you know, would be elected president, somebody else who would do a lot of things that, that you know, he would consider dangerous or stupid, uh, but he had to make a choice, a tragic all or nothing choice, and he made that choice. Um, it's it's a... It's it's a very sad story, um, very moving. Um, it's one of the most interesting things uh, that I discovered, and I did discover it. I had no idea until I started going through the documents. And then, you know, uh, it, it was unmistakable, at least to me. I had to tell the story that, that seemed to be emerging, um, the story of his emotional development and how it influenced his ideological development, his leadership, his statecraft, his strategy. Um, I mean, here he is in the 1950s, 
trying to portray himself, and he did it very successfully as this relaxed, smiling, easygoing, grandfatherly figure. Relaxed, easygoing. He was the reverse. <laughs> he had a terrible temper. He did not suffer fools gladly. Uh, when he left the White House, he did this series of interviews with Walter Cronkite, and he said, if you worked for me in the White House, you knew that one of your standard duties was to be summoned into the Oval Office with no advance warning, but you knew what to expect. You would walk into the Oval Office and stand there in silence as I cursed a blue streak for about 15, you know, or, or 20 minutes straight. No interruption. You listened and left. And then hours later, I would thank you. <laughs> and as he explained these things, this huge smile spread over his face. He said, I had to do it. I, you know, <laughs> I had to find an outlet for all this rage. I couldn't let the public see it. And he never did. <laughs> These stories, man, the history, it's its its quite something. It is, um, it is. Before I let you go, though, and I want to get you back on soon because I definitely want to talk to you a lot more. Um, you, 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 said, you, you talked about your book about economics. You've also written a book about architecture, film, education, and public policy. So it sounds yeah. like you've written a lot of books. Well, I have. I, I'm naturally curious. Uh, and I like to pursue my interests and learn, you know, uh, about the subject, learn enough uh, until uh, I feel I'm qualified to, to uh, share my opinions um, in a scholarly way, of course. Um, so I chose the field of history, um, though some people might regard it as something of a dull profession. That's not the way it seemed to me, and that's not the way I practice it. It seemed to me uh, of all the scholarly disciplines, the one that promised the most beautiful freedom, freedom to study and write about anything I wanted to, if I had the nerve to do it. <laughs> and I did. I, I have no regrets. I've had the time of my life. It's been a wonderful career. Was it, was it fun being a professor for 30 years? Oh, God, yes. I loved it. I, I, I love, you know, classroom teaching. Uh, it was uh, what I did not love uh, were the endless committee meetings, you know, the endless faculty meetings where people go on and on, you know, spending a thousand dollars of mental energy on a 10 cent issue, belaboring it, repeating themselves for hours. I'd leave. <laughs> I, I was somewhat unpopular among my colleagues for that reason. I was too uh, independent minded. I did what I wanted to. And you're a great speaker. And it says you are a, a you know, a public speaker. How often are you doing that? Are you doing that quite often these days? Well, I'm doing different kinds. I mean, now that this new Eisenhower book is out, I'm giving book talks. I'm being interviewed, you know, like now. Um, but I am getting back into one of my old causes, historic preservation here in Maryland, where I live. The county in which I live contains one of the crown jewels of East Coast historic preservation, historic Annapolis, you know, Maryland's colonial capital. It's got a wonderful, beautiful historic district, but the larger county has no preservation law at all. Um, so I'm working with people in the county to try to do something about that, to convince the county executive and the county council to pass a preservation law. Uh, I'm working with a wonderful guy down the road from where I live who bought a 1927 general store to save it. Uh, he'd lived there all his life. He'd seen too many landmarks taken away. And this building was on the market and it was going to be torn down. So he and his wife got a loan and they just bought it, you know, bought it to save it. And uh, 
I'm a historian. I've, I've done preservation work and research. And I said, look, I'll offer you my services for nothing. You don't have to pay me anything. I would like to help you get a grant from the state of Maryland to make this building look the way it did when it was built in 1927, right down to the old gas pumps and all. And we're going to do it. See if we don't. There'll be nothing like it, you know, probably in the whole state. And yeah. he's going to open it again as a store or a restaurant or a deli or something like that. Wonderful guy. I love working with him. Yeah. And, 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 and to conclude here, before I let you go, I got to get to my next guest, but I have to ask you, you know, when you were running that nonprofit protecting buildings um, and, and protecting all these, you know, historic monuments, I'm sure it disgusts you seeing all these people destroying statues of George Washington and Abraham Lincoln and, you know, I mean, so on, so on. This is going on all over the country. Well, if you mean the uh, statues of Confederate generals being pulled down, I have mixed feelings about that. I really do. I have honest, mixed feelings about it. As a preservationist, um, you know, they're, they're part of the built heritage of places like Richmond, Virginia, and so on and so forth. Um, but uh, yeah, as a Lincoln scholar, as, as someone who really cares about the human issues involved in, in things like slavery, yeah. Um, the statues have not been destroyed. They've just been relocated, put elsewhere. I mean, here in Maryland, yeah. uh, on the grounds of the Maryland State House in Annapolis, until a few years ago, there was a statue of Chief Justice Roger Tawney. He was the one who hey, handed Hey, Richard, I do, I do have to let you. I do have to let you go. Okay. Uh, I will get you back on though soon. Um, I got to get to my next guest. Tell everybody where they can find you and get involved. Well, I have my own website, www.richardstriner.com. Uh, my book, Ike in Love and War, uh, can be purchased on Amazon, Barnes and Noble. Um, and if you want me to come back and talk some more, you can see I love to talk. So uh, I'd I be love delighted. it. I'd be glad. Absolutely, my friend. It's been it's been an honor. Thank you for coming on. We'll talk to you very soon. Uh, my next guest with us right now, we have Will Witt. He has had a hell of a career, uh, a hell of a life. Uh, he is doing so many big things right now. Will, your first time on the program. Tell us how it all started for you, man. Give us a bio, a background, all that fun jazz. Well, thank you, man. You made me sound like Kanye West with Hell of a Life, <laughs> my beautiful, dark, twisted fantasy. Yeah, but it all well, started. It's true, man. It's true. Thank you, man. Yeah, I was, I've been I was watching living... you for years, man. I'm a big fan. Thank you. Where yeah. are you? Where are you living? I'm in, I'm in Palm Springs, California. Okay, yeah. Well, I was in LA for all those years. So I oh, now okay. live in Florida. But oh, nice. I, I was in L.A. because I worked for PragerU. I actually found out about PragerU in college. And so I started out as a liberal atheist. Long story short, I was in a sociology class, and my TA points at me, and there's a black girl sitting next to me, and she says, you are oppressing this girl next to you because of the color of your skin. Yeah. And to me, that just didn't make any sense. Of course, I'm not oppressing this girl. This girl also didn't feel like I was oppressing her, but this TA at a $50,000 a year university gets to come and tell me that I'm oppressing someone. This is how you create a victim culture in America. So I started getting really involved, found out about Turning Point USA, PragerU, other conservative org organizations, made a video on my campus and sent it to PragerU. They loved it and they offered me a job. So after two years of college, dropped out, moved to LA, and then I was there for the last five years working for PragerU, writing, um, creating documentaries, obviously doing the man on the street videos and short form content. And then now I own a newspaper here in Florida. I'm the editor-in-chief of the Florida Standard. Oh, wow, dude. Yeah. It's been crazy. Wow. So yeah. what, how, that's like, what, the second or third biggest newspaper in Florida? 
Oh, no, I wish I could say that. We have I a lot of competition. I thought, it, I thought it's a pretty big one, though, the Florida Standard. Yeah, we've done pretty well so far. I actually started it, so I started the Oh, Florida you Standard. started it. I, I, yeah. I, I thought you, you said you took it over. No, no, no. So, yeah, so I started this newspaper, but we've actually been able to become quite large with just a short amount of time. In about a year, I've been doing it because we've been providing something that is different than what other people provide. If you, you know, Florida is now a very conservative state. We're a red state. But if you moved here and you read the Orlando Sentinel, the Miami Herald, Tampa Bay Times, you'd think, wow, this place must be ran by Democrats. You know, this, all the media hates DeSantis, hates Republicans. And so we kind of came in to say, let's right side the media environment. And so because of that different angle that we take on a lot of things, we've been able to get quite a lot of steam recently. And that's been awesome to see. Dude, that's awesome. And so you're not with PragerU anymore then? No, I haven't been with PragerU for the last year. I'm still great friends with all of them. It was great terms ending with them. And, you know, I still do lots of things with them on, on the side. So you started this newspaper and that was taking up all your time and you just kind of had to leave and dedicate basically dedicate to this. Yeah. Yeah. Basically I was ready to get out on my own. I'd been for PragerU, been with PragerU for years and I yeah. loved everything they did for me, but it was just about time for me to start my own thing and finally move into, you know, I also wanted to leave LA. I didn't want to live in California as, anymore, as I'm sure you understand that living in, in California, I had to get out. I wanted to go to Florida. Right, right. I mean, Palm Springs is a little different, you know, yeah. there's really no crime here. It's uh, a lot of retirees, like golf courses on every corner. Uh, it's, uh, you know, very popular vacation place. And you get from A to B very easily, no traffic. So it, it's nice. It's nice here. And uh, I would say it's about 60-40. You know, there are quite a few conservatives in this Palm Springs area. It's kind of like the Orange County scenario mm -hmm. where there's yep. you know quite a few conservatives there but man la i don't blame you third world country the streets literally look like i mean pure hell you've got human feces everywhere you've got more tents than ever before you've got needles on the ground you've got and it's not stopping it's not stopping it's 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 going to only get worse and these mayors are enabling it by by continuously putting money towards it. It just encourages more people to be homeless. Well, they're spending billions on homelessness and it's not getting any better. They're spending more and more every year and it still gets worse and worse. So it makes you wonder where is the money actually going that they're spending to fix homelessness. And on top of all this stuff with just quality of life, for a year and a half being unvaccinated, I couldn't go to any restaurant, any bar in Los Angeles. I couldn't do right. anything. I was basically ostracized from society. I couldn't right. go into a grocery store without wearing a mask. Obviously, I never wore the mask. I mean, that's the title of my new book do not comply i never did it but you know they still tried to make me do all these things and i i said no i won't i won't i won't comply with your madness and so that's why i had to leave la you know there's only so much that that i could take and and over uh at the newspaper you said you've been doing that about a year right mm -hmm. and yeah. and so how many employees do you have so far i have six employees so one guy who does all the business stuff on the side and then i got five journalists now, are you just doing reporting in Florida? I imagine you're the kind of guy that would want to know what's going on all over, right? Yeah, so we're covering national issues, but mostly only national issues when it pertains to DeSantis because he's the governor of Florida. So any yeah. of that stuff that's going on with the 2024 election. But for the most part, we're trying to keep it fairly in Florida unless it's coming with something that I think Floridians need to know. And what is your subscriber scenario like? What is your monthly uh, visitor uh, scenario like, like, how are you guys doing with statistics 
We're doing very well. It's awesome. You know, being a Florida-based newspaper makes it so that, you know, you're not going to be getting something like CNN and, and Fox News reaching people all over the world. That's just how it's going to be. But one thing that's really great is the influence that we've been able to have saying, okay, we know the people that are within Tallahassee, that's the capital of Florida, where they got a lot of stuff going on. The people in Florida in Tallahassee are reading our stuff. We have a lot of influence when it comes to these types of people. And so that's been really cool to see that we've been able to reach that type of, of demographic. Yeah. And, and, and being, being at this newspaper, um, are, what are you, are you trying to like do, are you, are you guys going to be doing TV shows? Are you guys going to be doing radio shows? Are you guys going to be doing all that stuff? Potentially, you know, we have a, I set the studio up to start doing videos and things for the Florida standard. And we've done some video content here for it, but for the most part, um, in some ways I've kind of taken a back seat from some of my influencer work and some of the stuff I used to do to kind of be in the, the back seat of, of, advising the guys I have on the team, editing the content they have and writing myself. Didn't you have a podcast once upon a time? I could have sworn you did. I did. Yeah. I had a uh, Will Witt live. And then when I had Amala at PragerU as well, we had Will and Amala live. Yeah. And you did that for a couple of years, the podcast, right? I did. Yeah. That was a lot yeah. of fun. I love doing the podcast. It was a great. Dude, and the street really interviews were always the greatest, man. I mean, Thank you, you. and the college campus interviews. I mean, you were right on the money. You were right on par. I mean, you knew all the right questions to ask. And I mean, some of the answers you'd get from these idiotic individuals, it, it's just mind blowing. It was mind blowing. And even after you do it, I mean, I interviewed thousands of people. It's still mind blowing after interviewing right. thousands of people. But right. what you come to realize is that these people's opinions and thoughts are this deep. They're incredibly shallow. They, they don't really have anything that they've thought about. It's just what they've been told to think about. And so if you can ask them questions that make them open up their mind, because at the end of the day, it's not you changing that person's mind. It's them changing their own mind because they couldn't answer the questions that you gave them. And that was the whole purpose of my first book, How to Win Friends and Influence Enemies. It's all about changing minds on these issues. And how did the first book do with sales and just, you know, the feedback you got and the reaction? First book was great. Yeah. National bestselling book. It was awesome. We really hit that one out of the park. And I know that it was a, what you would say is an evergreen type of book. It was something that in 10 years, someone could still read and use the persuasion tactics and the facts to talk to someone. I'm sure the left is going to continue to get even more radical in that amount of time, but the, the facts and everything in there will still be relevant. And I think that's pretty relevant for my second book as well. Do not comply that people in a hundred years could still read the values that are within it. And I think they'll stand the test of time. Yeah. And I, I want to ask you, I want to talk about your second book, but I want to ask you, what do you think of DeSantis running? What do you, what do you make of the, all of this, him going up against Trump? You know, uh, a lot of Trump people that supported DeSantis are not too happy about it. it. You know, and DeSantis, let's face it, his campaign from what we can see is not doing, you know, as well as it, as it could. Yeah, he's not doing too hot. And unfortunately, man, I don't have a whole lot of time here, but I'll say that I think that DeSantis, in terms of the values and the things that have happened in Florida, I've seen that it's been kind of sad, actually, that so many people have turned coat on DeSantis because a year ago, everybody loved DeSantis. Every conservative in America loved DeSantis. He was doing things that really no one else in this country was doing as a governor. And yet now that he's running against Trump, everyone's kind of said, oh, well, now I hate this guy. Now this guy's a rhino. Now this, we don't support him at all. And that seems weird to me. Even if you like Trump over DeSantis, which is totally fine. That's a fair thing to have. You like his personality. You like the way he does things better. That's fine. But the fact that we have people so blatantly coming and saying, well, now DeSantis sucks. 
just doesn't really seem to make any sense to me. Sure, there are missteps with his campaign and all that, but in terms of just the person and, and who he is, it, it seems very odd. Yeah, and I know you're on a run here. I got a couple of things before you go. Uh, you've become an, a best-selling, a national best-selling author. Um, you've spoke internationally. Are you still speaking all the time? Are you still doing that? I am, yeah. I'm actually going on a three-week book tour starting on Monday. So I'll be going all across the country speaking and, and doing things. Nice, man. Yeah, and, so that's a lot uh, of fun. And are you still uh, appearing on uh, different media outlets and different doing different commentary stuff? As much as I can. Yeah, I was on Newsmax. I hosted the entire show, Rob Schmidt's show, at 7 p.m. Uh, on Wednesday. I was in New York to do that. So that was a lot of fun. So I oh. love doing things like that, too. Yeah, and, and talk about, you know, um, oh, and I just saw here, wow, man, the man on the street from 2018 to 2022 had more than 700 million online views. Holy moly, brother. Yeah, thank I mean, you. That's quite the accomplishment. Holy moly. Yeah, I'd say so. If we updated it now, it would actually be closer to a billion views on all the videos. So, I mean, it's it's mind-blowing. I mean, I never expected when I dropped out of college to ever be in the place that I am. I'm humbled all the time seeing people come up to me and recognize me and say, you know, you inspired me and done all this for me. It, it doesn't even make sense to me. <laughs> it, it, like it's hard to understand that, that people can feel that way. Did you ever think growing up, like just being a liberal atheist when you were, that you would ever come to the point where you are at now with finding Christ and finding conservatism and finding, you know, American values and, and all the proper traditions and what it stands for? No way. I mean, I was a very shy kid growing up. I always thought that I would do something with animals behind the scenes. Animals, you don't have to talk to animals. They're, they're animals. You just help them and fix them and, and study them. That's what I always thought I was going to do. It's crazy how, how God works in your life and, and changes things that you could never understand or expect. But I'm blessed to be in the place that I am now. And, and Will, this new book is getting a lot of excitement. It's getting a lot of, a lot of good feedback. It's getting a lot of good reviews. Um, I think it's on a lot of, uh, on a lot of the top lists. Um, you know, across, across the internet, but tell everybody what you want the biggest takeaway to be, what you want the biggest, you know, kind of pin, pinpoint, pinpoint the premise for us and just all about it. The biggest point that I want people to take away from this is that there is so much bravery and courage inside all of us, yet we refuse to do it. It's one thing to know the information. It's one thing to be woken up to what's going on, to the evils around us. It's a whole other thing to go against it, to take action, to fight against evil, to fight against the corrupt, to fight against these elite people who are trying to turn you into a slave. Do not comply is about more than just not doing something it is also about doing something in response to the the evil that we see in this world and the main thing that i just want people to do is is get closer to the good i want people to be good people and through this book i try and give them that hey will you know what i you know what i hope for and this, this is to conclude our conversation and i love interviewing you by the way i want to get you back but i would love for kanye to be president someday man that would, <laughs> that would be awesome what do you think about that I mean, it'd be something different in America, and it seems like this country needs something that is not what we have had for the last, what, 30, 40 years. We need some sort of spicing up in, in our political system because right now people don't care really at all about politics. So it would make people care, that's for sure. It's true, and he is the greatest of all time, and there is no denying that. I mean, he is the GOAT. I love Kanye. Love, love, what, he stand, love what he stands for. Um, and Will, I love everything you're doing, man. Keep you, it up man. and tell everybody where they can find you, where they can get involved, all that good stuff. 
You guys can find me on my social media at the Will Wit. You can check out my website, theflstandard.com, for all the Florida news. And then you can get my book anywhere books are sold. Right now on Amazon, the book is 30% off as well. Do not comply. And Will, how many states are you traveling to uh, on this book tour? Not that many states. I'm doing a week in Florida and then a week in kind of the Southwest and then a week in California. So I'll be kind of not too many states, but just a lot of different places. And I'm sure it's just appearance after appearance in terms of shows like this, right? Yeah, yeah, all the time, man. So that's why, you know, it's getting going and and all that stuff. I I know, man. You're you're a busy guy. We'll, We'll have a fantastic weekend. God bless you, and I'll talk to you soon, my friend. God bless you too, man. Thank you. All right. Cheers. Uh, Everybody, we'll be right back. Stay with us. Coming to you live from Palm Springs, California. This is Rory Sutter and the news. I haven't seen my daughter, and now her daughter shows up at my front doorstep and not a word. I think my parents are in some kind of trouble. Oh, Ashley's in trouble. What is it this time? Get on that flight and do not come back without my hard drive. Purpose for your visit? Pleasure. Lay low for a few minutes. Welcome to the island. I'm losing my patience. Oh, no, no! Ah! Boom! Kills him. I just got out of here with my life. Did you shoot me? I guarantee you there's more men that are already coming. And they will not stop until we are all dead. Come on, Ashley. Who are you? The old guy, he keeps killing everybody. Everybody. Isn't he? Yeah, your dad's totally an assassin. Grandpa! Here, have some more syrup, sweetheart. Let's do this. People always say, don't assume the worst. Yeah. Is it a boy or girl? We don't know. Sometimes the worst is exactly what you should assume. So my wife is in the hospital. She's about to give birth. Drive. This is a family emergency. I'm your family emergency now. Whatever it is that you want, it's yours. Is this the wife? David, where are you? You and your wife have a happy marriage? Stick away from my family. That's rude. You interrupting me, don't. You know what I don't need tonight? Stress. (laughs) Let's just make wise decisions. Wash the speed limit. Where are we going? You're not listening to me. I will shoot you. And this cop... I told you not to speed. We should play a little game. I want you to tell me the truth. If you don't, I am gonna kill Mr. Happy Trucker and this waitress. Ready? 
you've got me confused with someone else. Really? I'm not who you think I am. I've never even told you who I think you are, so how could you know you're not who I think you are? Tick, 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 tick. Sit back down! Getting good. Oh. I'm not gonna die tonight. Dressed up for this. I, I wanted to be 100% sex tonight, and you cut that in half. I'm now 50% sex. People tend to think the more violent the death, the higher to heaven you go. Better to rain in hell. Wouldn't you agree? Pick up the phone, James. What, what, what are you, ghosting me? What are you, Dr. Ross, my psychiatrist? <laughs>
Do not drink alcohol in excess. Side effects may include headache, upset stomach, delayed backache, or muscle ache. To avoid long-term injury, get medical help right away for an erection lasting more than four hours. If you have any sudden decrease or loss in hearing or vision, or any symptoms of an allergic reaction, stop taking Cialis and get medical help right away. Why pause the moment? Ask your doctor about Cialis for daily use. And for a $200 savings card, go to Cialis.com. And we are back, Rory Sodder and the news. Another episode in the books. I want to thank you all for tuning in. I hope you have a fantastic weekend. Until next time, I'm Rory Sodder. God bless. Much love. Cheers, everybody.